0: Welcome to the Science of Footy podcast. You're here with your host, Liam and Bill. And Bill, you are the AFLW tipster extraordinaire. Four out of four last week.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just saw the start from each, cracking in all four correct. Didn't even look like getting one wrong.
0: We've got a fun show today. We're going to recap a bit of the uh, AFLW results from the first round, and then we'll run into some of our uh, preseason form guide for the men. So who's burning up the track for the first half of the teams from Crows down to uh, GWS.
1: Yeah, first game was one that we were lucky enough to attend, although it was a pretty dull and boring affair, to be honest. Carlton winning that game 22-14 to 14 in front of a crowd of 19,000 people.
0: Yeah, so they had a lockout last year, the full 24,500 people down at Icon, but only got 19,000 down this, this year. But they did have the uh, big screen set up outside for a few people to sit outside and watch the game, which was a nice addition, I thought.
1: Yeah, so overall, just pretty fumbly affair, to be honest. Um, we saw quite a few... Dropped marks, uncontested marks, and, and quite a fair few stoppages, although the game was not without its stars.
0: Chloe Malloy was the first one that stood out for me, so she was pick three in the draft playing for Collingwood, and she's played most of her footy up forward, um, was equal goal-kicking um, leader in the VFL women's competition at the start of the season, but they started her down back and she lit it up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So good footballing stead there, niece of Jared Malloy, who played 200 games for Fitzroy, Brisbane, and Collingwood. And yeah, she just played really well. Uh, She was probably best on ground for me, even though she was in a losing side. Just did a very good job uh, shutting down her opposition forward and then also providing rebound out of defense.
0: So she ended up with uh, more kicks than anyone else on the ground had touches. So she's maybe going to turn into that Heath Shaw of the women's competition who's just using her elite disposal by foot and kicking out of defense.
1: Probably one to look out for once they do finally get around to opening the women's super coach.
0: And one of the big factors of her game, aside from the disposals, was that her alongside um, other defenders like Ross played a lot of time on Vesico, they locked down one of the best key forwards in the competition. I mean, Vesico came in last year and kicked four goals in that first match and ended up winning the Coleman, but um, she had little impact in that game.
1: Yeah, Vesico didn't get near it for the goals, and to be honest, didn't really look like kicking one either, although Taylor Harris did manage to get away a little bit on the defenders, taking a few good contested marks.
0: Yeah, she was a beast in the air. Everything that went near her, you thought she was a good chance to pull it down. Definitely, um, definitely stood out on the ground in that retrospect, and um, was definitely one of the best players on the ground.
1: So one of the things we talked about last week was the last touch out of bounds rule. This was obviously the first game with it in play. And Lee, how did you see that one panning out?
0: Yeah, interesting. I, like I, as a lot of other people, might have had it slightly wrong going into the game of how it was interpreted. So it's last kick or handball out of bounds as long as it's not touched by the opposition player so as long as you kick it and it's not touched by an opposition it can still be touched by your teammate and fumbled over then it's a free kick uh, for the opposition
1: yeah so we, we mostly saw that occur when kicking inside the Ford 50 sometimes the players weren't able to hit a target and you'd see the ball go out and cause an automatic turnover so I'm not really sure whether we like it in that area
0: yeah i think maybe the interpretation change that needs to be had is to maybe change it from the defensive goal line up until your forward 50 and not include it in the forward 50 because this whole rule is brought in to try and increase scoring and um, we want to see more stoppages inside the 50 to increase that so i'd rather see it when you kick inside your forward 50 and it rolls out of bounds for that not to be called in that in that circumstance one thing that i really did like about the rule though is that they brought in a new symbol for the umpires to to symbolize when it happens and it's like waving an imaginary lasso above their head. So I quite enjoyed watching them do that. That was quite funny.
1: One of the lowlights in the game was seeing the Collingwood player Darcy uh, kick her opponent in the groin.
0: Yeah, so that ended up being a two-match ban for her. And this is the first time we've seen the uh, one-man match review panel with Michael Christians. It was his first task to call uh, the weeks on this, and he decided on two weeks. Do you reckon that was an apt amount?
1: I think it is, um, considering the season length, although interestingly, Christian clarified uh, after being questioned about it that he didn't take into account gender nor the length of the AFLW season, Um, which to me just seems like a lie. Um, He's obviously taken into account the season. Obviously, if we saw that happen in the men's side of the game, I think you'd be looking at at least four to five weeks off. And, you know, when you scale it down for according to the season length, I think two is about correct. But it just seems like a strange clarification, to make because I just think that's a lie.
0: Yeah, I I feel like I saw the weeks and I could understand. I looked at it and thought that would be two, maybe even three in the women's system just because it's shorter than the men's. But I certainly don't want the men's season to come around and this to happen and him to drop two weeks again because, yeah, it was something you really don't want to see in the game. So someone
1: we talked about uh, last week pre-game was Mo Hope, obviously coming off not too brilliant a debut season. And there was talk of her playing more in the midfield, and she sort of did that a little bit, although only managed to pick up six touches and one tackle.
0: Yeah, and I've dropped her for this week, so Mo hope has been sent a big message from the Collingwood uh, team that she's going to have to lift her output or she won't be playing. Um, I think it's a bit harsh, considering watching the game, she often had players dropping in front of her leads and playing on two oppositions at once. And sure, she didn't have a great output, but take that out of the team and you're going to maybe have an even, even uh, lower scoreboard than you had in this game when the extra defender drops in front of somebody else in the team.
1: Yeah, not too sure she was the worst or even really close to the worst player on the ground there, but as you said, obviously sending a message that her output needs to lift if she wants to feature in the team going forward.
0: So we'll move on to the next game, which was uh, Melbourne versus GWS, and that was the highest scoring game that we saw in the week, and the Ds just got up by one goal in that game, 45-39. to 39.
1: Yeah, this is a great game, uh, really really good finish, and uh, probably the big hero here was Cranston, kicking three goals and two in the last quarter. A few very important plays by her, grabbing the contested ball and managing to put it through.
0: Going to be a cult hero as well, with a uh, big dreadlock hairstyle, and bombing up and kicking a few goals is uh, excitement machine that definitely the fans are going to get around, I think.
1: Daisy Pearce also bobbed up, with uh, most touches on the ground, and some very solid contests and marking from her. It's a feature we haven't really seen her display last season, but... Good to see that she's got that aspect to her game and she played very well.
0: Yeah, she was also your uh, brown low medal equivalent pick in our last podcast and she might have got the three votes uh, on the day, on the weekend, so she was off to a really strong start.
1: On the GWS side of things, Eva had 14 touches alongside 13 tackles. That's a very impressive uh, stat line there.
0: Yeah, definitely. She was one of the strongest players on the GWS team. Uh obviously impact around the ball with those tackles is huge and you hope that that sets the example for other teammates on GWS
1: yeah and GWS came out looking much improved so not really the same side that we saw last year struggling to kick a score and and to stay in games Um, and had quite a few contributors so McWilliams 10 touches and three goals is very impressive Barkley 14 touches and two goals and Gunn with 17 touches all did pretty well
0: Yeah, so Gunn was one of those new uh, 36-year-old recruits that we talked about in the last podcast. And the other one, um, Irish woman, uh, Staunton, managed to kick a goal in the game as well. And it's quite funny to watch that one. She's running into open goal and turned around and kicked the Stevie J snap for goal, which is obviously uh, the kick that's more appropriate to the Gaelic side of the game. So it was very funny to see her do that. She might get that Stevie J uh, bit of a reputation for running around and snapping a lot of goals rather than kicking the drop punt.
1: Yeah, that was great to see. I am going to move us on pretty quick here, though, so we can get towards the Mighty Lions taking a 31-19 to win over the Adelaide Crows.
0: Yeah, so this was the tip that separated us in uh, the tipping last week. Um, Phillips, the laid out, obviously had an impact on the game. So going into the week, there was a lot of talk about uh, Phillips wasn't training a lot with the main group and the coach was questioned and she said oh you just don't take your Rolls-Royce out um, in the mud all the time and she's fine and it got to game day and she wasn't named to play and it's still up in the air whether she'll play this week as well.
1: Yeah obviously a huge out for the Crows and they struggled through the middle as a result um, in the grand final match last year they sort of dominated the lines through the middle and obviously a large part of that was due to Aaron Phillips so Having her out was a big blow, but the Lions did look quite impressive in their own right.
0: Sabrina Frederick-Traub was um, probably the best player on the ground. She was, uh, with the absence of Taylor Harris up there, she was a huge presence marking a lot of balls and putting body around those aerial contests.
1: Yeah, absolutely. She managed 10 marks, a lot of them contested, and she really just didn't look like like dropping one. Every single sort of contested situation, when you saw the ball go high, if she was anywhere near it, you knew she was going to take that grab.
0: She could have had an even bigger game, kicking zero goals three, so slots those three goals and that's an amazing performance. It's still probably your best on ground, but it's pretty exciting to think that she's got another level she can go to from here.
1: So the highlight, probably as a Lions supporter, um, from our point of view, was the defence. We spoke last week about the loss of Sam Virgo, who really led the defence last year, but really you couldn't tell that she wasn't out there. Um, Lutkins did an absolutely brilliant job, probably pushing Sabrina Frederick-Troyd for best on ground. She kept Sarah Perkins to only one touch, and she was part of the defence which kept the Crows scoreless for three out of the four quarters, the first, third, and fourth quarters.
0: Absolutely, yeah, brilliant display from the defence there. Um, The Crows weren't without their um, contributors, though. Randall managed to put together uh, an 18-touch and one-goal performance, so she was probably um, the most important player out there for... The Crows and Marinoff, who we spoke about last podcast, also contributed with 17 touches.
1: Yeah, Marinoff was very impressive again. We spoke about her again last week. Um, Just a brilliant field kick. So every time you get the ball, you can tell she's going to hit someone up and from quite a distance away too.
0: One thing we saw at the end of the match was the Lions, who posed for a photo, gave all of the media reporters the shush symbol with uh, their fingers to their lips. What do you make of that?
1: Yeah, I rate it. A bit of talk about as to why that happened and sort of emerged that... They just feel perhaps they're being continually underrated. So, uh, something that I did notice when when we were looking at some of the journalist predictions for who was going to win the the grand final or that sort of stuff throughout the year. um, The Lions... So, the AFL staff writers failed to list a single Lions player or the team itself in any of the predictions for Premier, runner-up, best and fairest, rising star, leading goal kicker, or player to look out for. So, basically a complete shutout of the Lions team in those predictions, and something that obviously the girls had a look at and decided they weren't too happy with.
0: No, it's an arrogant shush for mine. They're going to lose by 20 goals this week, just (laughs) way ahead of themselves. We'll move on to Dogs and Frio now. Um, The Dogs managed to get up in that match, uh, 49-23, really shutting out the game in the first half.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the Dogs had about five goals on the board before Frio even managed to score, and a lot of that was due to Katie Brennan. Liam, your pick for the Coleman equivalent.
0: Yeah, she came out on fire and kicked three goals in the first half. And I thought, ooh, I'm on here. She might end up with a sixer. But um, she trailed off a bit in the second half as Fremantle uh, fought back into the game.
1: Yeah, so she looked really dangerous up forward and just in 50 in general, alongside Ali Blackburn and Kearney.
0: Yeah, Blackburn, Kearney, and uh, Brennan might be the big trio of the AFLW league. I don't think there's a better three players on any other team. Um, Blackburn, with the 23 touches, seven marks, and a goal, got the perfect 10 out of 10 from the coaches on the day, so she was outstanding.
1: From a Freer perspective, pretty disappointing start to the season. I'm failing to register a score in the first half, although they did manage, on the back of two goals from Lavelle in the second half, to fight back a little bit.
0: The game was sort of won and lost with the marks inside the Ford 50. You could see the dogs, they took 12 in there for the game to Freo's three, so I don't think you're going to win many games of footy when you can't grab the ball in the, in the Ford 50, and um, the dogs looked really dangerous when they went inside, which was the difference in the end. All right, we'll give our tips again for this week. Um, Bill, you can lead us off being the uh, current leader.
1: Yeah, so first game next week, GWS Blues. Uh, I've gone for the Blues as the away team. I just think they looked pretty strong, albeit against a disappointing Collingwood side. And I've got them taking the edge over the the GWS Giants.
0: I'm going to go against you and go with GWS. I thought they put up a really good showing against the Demons, who were uh, everyone's tip for the uh, flag. So I think at home, GWS might get that win.
1: Next up, we've got Crows D's, and I've gone with the Crows. I think uh, if Erin Phillips can get back, then I think that's a, a solid tip. If she can't, then... Maybe last minute I'll be desperately asking Liam to let me change that one, but I have gone for the Crows.
0: Yeah, I'm going for the Ds for that reason. I don't think Aaron Phillips will be back yet, um, and it might even be uh, the end of the Crow season if they're not and they go down.
1: Next up, Pies versus Frio. Um, Pretty tough one for me. These teams look like maybe the the teams that are going to be fighting out for the spoon. Obviously only one round in, so pretty early to make that call, but neither look too great in the first round. I've gone narrowly for
0: Fremantle. Yeah, I've gone for you at home. The home factor sort of got me over the line in that one.
1: Last up, Lions versus the Dogs. Easy tip for me. I'm sticking with my girls, the Lions. They'll get it done for sure.
0: I'm a big fan of the Dogs, as you know, but I've gone for the Lions as well. They looked really impressive last week, and at home, I've just got to tip them.
1: All right, we're going to shift focus now to the men's side of the competition, and with the season starting in about seven weeks, we thought we'd talk about some of the players who are burning up the track for at least the first nine teams in the comp this week. So first off, we've obviously got the Crows, and the loss of Brody Smith to an ACL injury means there's going to be a spot up for grabs off the half-black flank, and at this stage it looks like Malera might be the one to fill the gap.
0: Yeah, Malera's been a sort of interesting player of his first few seasons with the Crows, where he didn't really have a place to fit in. He played a bit off the half-forward, and they tried him through the wing middle, and a little down back as well, and he sort of didn't really have a place in the team he could slot in, but looked being mainly that that high half-forward. But now he's been moved to maybe training down back and um, doing a bit of work in that half back flank role. So, how has he been fitting in there?
1: Yeah, so all reports is that he's training really well. And we, we definitely know that he's got the talent. So, first round pick from 2015, played eight games in his first season and then 16 last year. So, he's obviously building towards what will hopefully be a full season and potentially off the half back flank.
0: Another one that has a lot of eyes on him this preseason is Brad Crouch. So back when they were juniors, a lot of people earmarked Brad Crouch to be the better brother, and we saw Matt break out over the last two years and become really one of the superstars of the competition, so there's been a lot of eyes on him, and he's training really well.
1: Yeah, a lot of talk about Brad Crouch coming out of the Crows in this preseason, and the word is that he just continues to improve, so look for him to be one who pushes into that elite category this season.
0: Another one of the uh, key roles that are open this year is obviously with Lever leaving. Um, Lever leaving? leaving. Um, Tom Dedee is one that looks earmarked to take that position.
1: Yeah, I'm not, personally not a fan just because I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's <laughs> Didi or, or Doidi or something, but, uh, yeah, all reports from last year were that he played very well in the sample and that he'll slot straight into that role.
0: I've seen him in a lot of Supercoach lineups already, so I think a lot of people are earmarking him as a rookie who might play a lot of games.
1: So one other that I think is worth keeping an eye on is Hugh Greenwood. Um, As people probably know, he started off playing basketball before switching late to football, so you would just assume that he's going to have a lot of improvement still left in him, and he he seemed to improve even just over last season.
0: Yeah, real tenacity was sort of his strong suit, where he's got that competitive passion, and I think it's going to bode really well for him when he gets his skills sort of continually improving, that he'll break into a solid position in that midfield.
1: So the Crows obviously with quite a strong best 22 uh, playing in the grand final last year, and Fishing on top of the ladder, I believe. So quite a hard best 22 to break into. But word is that their recent draftees, Darcy Fogarty and Andrew McPherson, are training very well. So look for them to maybe get a game. Injuries for many at some point in the season.
0: Speaking of injuries, we've had a recent uh, word out of Adelaide that Taylor Walker's um, hurt his plantar fascia in his foot. So he'll be spending a couple of weeks in a moon boot and he won't be taking any part in any of the preseason games for the Crows
1: disappointing news there for the crows we'll move on to the lions um interesting have as a Lions supporter i've been through our best 22 trying to see who's going to be in it this season and there is plenty of additions to our best 22 um through trade and and also through the draft but also from injury um mitch robinson and alan christensen missed all of last year or most of last year to injuries so we'll get both of those two back and then bringing in charlie cameron luke hodge and then also cam Rayner has been impressive
0: Yeah, I'm going to be watching Christensen very closely this preseason. He's been one that I've heard is burning up the track, coming back from injury, but we've seen him do it before and then get in the season and sort of have a really bad luck being in and out of the team with little little injuries or season-ending injuries. So a lot of eyes will be on him to see if he can have a consistent year.
1: I think the eyes around the AFL will also be on Cam Rayner. At the moment, he's training very well and and impressing the coaches. Um, Talk is that he'll probably debut round one, although... Obviously, we're not really sure on that yet, but we do know that he's recently extended his contract and recently joined Huma Cluggage, Jared Berry, and Alex Witherden in doing so.
0: Yeah, Witherden's got to be the biggest name there for mine. Um, There was a lot of talk about whether um, other clubs were going to be really looking to try and get in a trade and pry him out of Brisbane because of his high level of output in that first year, which was really sort of the level that I thought could have won the Rising Star if he played every game. and. He's still eligible to win that award this year, and um, I think the boogies have him such short odds that it's almost unbackable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Very impressive across. Uh, I think it was about nine games last year. Um, very high possession average, something around the 20 uh, possessions per game, and, and held that consistently. Uh, as you said, a lot of Vic clubs circling him. Um, the big name was Geelong. A lot of talk of him potentially getting down to Geelong, but very important for the Lions to get that signature, and, and very happy that they've managed to do so.
0: We'll move on to Carlton, and uh, big Charlie Kernow, is all over the news at the moment.
1: Yeah, so I saw a picture of Charlie Kurnow, and I've got to tell you, he's an absolute monster. Um, this kid's going to be taking some serious marks at AFL level this year. Just looks like a Cuda his clone, but, you know, about 10cm taller and probably a bit thicker too, so... Yeah, look out for Charlie Kurnow, that's all I can say.
0: He looked really good up forward last year, and there's talk of him maybe even pushing into the midfield at times. So if you've got a Paddy Cripps, Kurnow, like that's a really big set of young bodies moving through that midfield. So it'll be interesting to watch where he plays this year.
1: They'll be adding one more to that midfielder as well. Paddy Dow looking really good and on track for a round one debut. Um, talk out of Carden, is just very no-nonsense. He's just there to, to work hard and, and play some good football
0: couple of other players that we'll earmark for having really big summers, uh, Williamson's one that's put on a lot of weight, and he looks like he could really um, play a good role in the seniors off that halfback flank and up into the wing.
1: Yeah, and another one, Matt Kennedy from GWS, um, he's one that you know starved the opportunities a bit in the GWS 22, quite hard to break into, so I would expect him to slot straight into a midfield role down at Carlton and do very well.
0: So a lot of the Blues young boys are tracking well and we'll have lots of opportunities this year. But yeah, my eyes will definitely be on Charlie Kern now to see if he can take that step up into one of the most elite uh, forwards going around.
1: Next up, we've got the Pies. Um, They've had a training camp up on the Gold Coast, which all words said has gone quite well, although some bad news for them is that Jeremy Howe's had a slight calf issue Um, The club's playing it down at the moment and saying that he'll be fine, but we're not really sure what's going on there.
0: Not the best news for Collingwood there, but during the time after he did his calf, he signed an extension with the club to stay there for some more years, so it's not all bad news for Collingwood there.
1: Um, Darcy Moore is one who's been seen doing a lot of fitness work, but not so much a lot of match simulation, so potentially carrying a little niggle there.
0: Really interesting one, Darcy Moore, because he's been playing as a forward putting reasonable numbers on the board for a young key position player and he was really the only person down there in Collingwood's forward line so it's not like he was getting much help like some other young key forwards that we see in the competition and this year it comes out that he's moving to centre-half back and it's one of those things where people are like oh maybe it won't really happen but recently Bucks has come out and said yeah we're looking to play him down at centre-half back and push Reed more up into the forward line so it would be interesting to see how he goes down there.
1: Yeah, so with that lack of forward options, Collingwood's probably going to be hoping for a lot of goals coming from their midfield, and thankfully for them, they do have the cattle in there to make that happen. Um, Word is that the core midfield group's looking very good in in match simulation, and that's including Daniel Wells, who seems to be over his recent injuries and playing some very good football.
0: Wells is a really important player for Collingwood, and when he plays, they have a much better uh, winning record than when he's out, so he's going to be very important for them. Um, On the drafty side of things, um, Stephenson's been making a few splashes, and especially in their recent um, like match simulation training and AFLX training. He's um, one that's been earmarked for having really, really good skills in there and up to AFL standard.
1: Take a look at the Dons now, and probably the big word out of the Dons is Jake Stringer back in training and looking very fit. Um, I saw a picture of him myself, and he definitely looks probably stronger and fitter than I've seen him for quite a long time.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's looking good and playing a lot of midfield minutes in that training, which is interesting. A few words out of the coaches, you'll probably see Devin Smith, who's another new addition, doing about a 50-50 split, doing some time up midfield and forward, whereas Stringer might even play more time in the midfield than he does up forward, so that'll be really interesting to watch.
1: Yeah, and the two of them probably joined by Andy McGrath. Um, a, lot of work, a lot of talk last season and, and going into this season that he'd be playing midfield, and that seems to be the case again, um, running through the midfield in match simulation and, and looking very good while doing so
0: and we we saw from last year with especially with Watson and Stanton no longer playing that that midfield has a lot of spots up for grabs so it's good for Essendon to see so many players sort of stepping up and wanting to take that take that leap and players who have a lot of upside for that as well.
1: Yeah absolutely so with the three additions uh, the three S's, Stringer, Saad and Devon Smith there um, it's going to be a very competitive best 22 at Essendon this season to break into uh, one of the junior players uh, that we think may have a chance to get a few games is the mature ager, Matt Guelfie.
0: said his name right this time. I remember in our draft podcast, we had a bit of trouble with Guelfie, but yeah, he's, um, he's been really strong in simulation and being that sort of bigger body than the other recruits is probably one that might get a few more early, looks in, early look-ins to the senior team.
1: Take it over out west now and talk about Fremantle, and the first thing I noticed when I was uh, snooping around for some Fremantle news is that everyone's saying Aaron Sanderlands is looking in very good condition this season.
0: Yeah, still one of the best tap ruckmans going around in the competition. Sandlands is such a big presence around the contest. Probably not as big of an issue as it used to be, with Darcy being um, there as the backup secondary ruckman, and he's been looking very good, so it's good for Fremantle supporters that even though Sandlands is up and about and looking really fit, that Darcy is also there if they um, see injuries coming to their big man.
1: In some more good news for Fremantle supporters, Nat Fife, Um, as we saw in the International Rules Series, he looked back to his best there and seemed unencumbered by his previous leg injuries. Um, talk of him being primed for a big year and, and talk of him playing up forward a little more.
0: We've seen in the past that Fife hasn't had the best uh, conversion efficiency going forward, kicking in a lot of behinds, especially in one particular grand final, which was highlighted. Um, but... He's a very good player, and I suspect that him playing in the midfield and resting up forward will work very well.
1: A few young names have popped up as well as players to look out for this season. One of them is Griffin Logue, um, said to have put on some size and continues to develop and impress in match simulations.
0: We've also got some new recruits in there, Chera and Brayshaw, who have both looked very classy around the ball, and they could line up as early as round one.
1: Yeah, and just to keep dropping names for those of you who are Supercoach fans out there, Luke Ryan and Crowden also have been said to have impressed the coaches this preseason.
0: There's been a bit of negative light come out around Fremantle and to a lesser extent the Melbourne Football Club recently with the Colin Sylvia news. He's been all throughout the news apparently having stolen credit card information and used it to pay for brothels, gambling and porn. I don't know if people still pay for porn, but Colin Sylvia does. So, Yeah, Colin Sylvia, um, stuck in
1: the past I think. Uh, not a lot to say about him. Um, obviously quite a good talent when he did play, but unfortunately not, not one of the successes in terms of freer recruiting.
0: We'll move along to Geelong now, and um, there's not a lot of info coming out of the category. It's been pretty pretty tied up. Most of the uh, media news has been around Ablett's uh, addition to the Geelong outfit again.
1: Yeah, so uh, Geelong seem to be keeping it all pretty hush-hush this preseason. Um, the trio of Salwood, Dangerfoot and Ablett, obviously, is what the media wants to be talking about, but they've been eased into the training, so not, not seen a lot from them yet. Not really too sure about how that dynamic is going to work in terms of who will be playing up forward who will be playing in the middle, and, and for what sort of percentages.
0: One of the interesting things to come out of the coaches, though, is when asked, they said that they got Ablett in to be a midfielder, and that's what where they want him to play. So that's one of the interesting things with a lot of people thinking he might play most of his footy up forward. But in terms of some young people who might move into this team, well, not so young, Tim Kelly, a mature age recruit for them in the last draft, is apparently performing really well at training and might get some early games.
1: Yeah, one of the young name. I've seen a a recent photo of Zach Guthrie. Um, You may know him as possibly the skinniest player ever to play AFL, and uh, thankfully he's put on a little bit of size, although probably still quite a bit more to go there.
0: We'll move on to Gold Coast, where um, one of the younger players and one of the best tall players in the competition, 2 meter Peter, has been uh, burning up the track a bit over there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just continuing to develop and uh, continuing to put size on. Just looks really ready to go this this season. Could be quite a handful for defences when obviously teamed up with Tom Lynch.
0: So there's obviously spots open in that uh, Gold Coast midfield um, after Ablett is left. And one of the people earmarked to take a really big step in there is Will Brody.
1: Yeah, big improver over the preseason. Looks to have increased his size and endurance, which is always a good sign. Uh, very, very tough at it contested player. So expect to see him in the middle at some point.
0: Another one to spend some more time in the middle is Pierce Hanley, who's been earmarked for a lot of time in there, and also looked for Barlow to come back from injury into that team, so there'll be a very different midfield moving around at uh, Gold Coast.
1: A few other players who looked impressive this preseason, Ben Ainsworth, looking really fit and ready to start impacting games on a more consistent basis.
0: One of the other uh, young kids, uh, Charlie Ballard, from the last draft class, has really impressed the coaching staff with his understanding of how to play the game and his class around the balls. So he might be another one to play some games this year.
1: Yeah, so a few positive signs for the Suns on the field there, although off the field not so much. Uh, word out of the Suns fan evening was that it was relatively uninspiring. Stewie Drew not too keen to give a lot away to the uh, to the fans there.
0: Yeah, new coach, new spot. He probably doesn't want to build up expectations too high they've got a harsh start to the year we know not playing that first six games uh, at their home stadium is i think it's the commonwealth games is being set up over there so they've got back-to-back games in perth and this sort of thing so it might be a harsh start for gold coast this year
1: next up we've got gws who decided to keep it a bit more local this year and shifted their pre-season camp from the sunshine coast to the blue mountains Next up we've got GWS who decided to keep it a bit more local this year and shifted their preseason camp from the Sunshine Coast to the Blue Mountains. And I think the first thing to note there is that they're also another team who's going to be looking for some runners off the halfback flank. So they've had Zach Williams go down with an ACL injury and obviously Wilson traded to Fremantle in, the, in trade period so they'll, they'll be looking for someone to fill that role across the halfback line.
0: Yeah, really shattering one there for GWS. After trading Wilson off to Freo, they had lots of other options and lots of other good players running off that back line. And Williams was one that's had really good um, run off that defense in the past, and everyone thought that he'd be able to take an even bigger workload on this year. And then he goes down with the ACL, and they sort of lost their two best running players um, in the one year.
1: Yeah, so speaking of running players... um. In news that's quite impressive, although it should probably shock no one, Tom Scully was given a 1 minute and 50 second handicap and still managed to win the 3km time trial for GWS.
0: Yeah, running beast, probably the best runner in the game, running both ways along with Gaff, so he's just an impressive, impressive runner and um, shouldn't surprise anyone that he won that time trial.
1: As for players who might get a run in the best 22 this season, Will Setterfield looking pretty good um, in most match simulations and looks like he could push for some games early. And Adam Kennedy is back running at 100% after getting over a few recent injuries.
0: In terms of new recruits, we've had um, one of our uh, favourite players from the draft class, Aiden Bonner, who came in and unfortunately had a bit of a hamstring injury, so he was hampered a bit, but apparently he's back in training, so hopefully we'll be able to see the best of him this year. All
1: right, in the interest of keeping things brief, we'll wrap it up there, and next week we'll run through the next lot of teams, uh, nine teams running from Geelong to the Western Bulldogs.
0: We'll close off this week with, as we normally do, uh, the big talking point of the week, and definitely this week the big talking point was the recent memo that the AFL sent out to the AFLW teams to try and increase the scoring after a really low-scoring first round.
1: Yeah, so they obviously want more scoring and less stoppages, and uh, they've brought in a new rule to attempt to make that happen.
0: Yeah, not a new rule, though. like. This is what really confuses me with this sort of AFL brought in memo is that they're telling the teams how to play and how the rules in inverted brackets are without actually changing them. So what if some teams follow them and not? I I just think it's a really weird scenario. And Lee Matthews took to Twitter yesterday to, to sort of say the similar things where it's really odd and sort of unprecedented to have an AFL telling teams how to play without changing the rules per se. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. Um, I just see it as sort of another unneeded change by the AFL, a um, very reactive policy, and they've, they've got a bit of a history of, you know, tweaking rules here and there to uh, to get the result that they desire. And uh, I'm not really a fan of it.
0: So anyone who hasn't seen the memo, it went out to all the AFLW clubs this week, saying we want to see five forwards, five defenders, and six midfielders at every ball up. So previously, the players, uh, the coaches, and players were able to decide maybe we want more people behind the ball or around the ball. They've also said we don't want to see any flooding and we don't want to see any forwards within 15 metres of um, the ball up, some sort of protected zone to keep the forwards away to open up that space.
1: Yeah, so for mine, probably a bit of an overreaction, mostly to the, um, possibly to the reception of the Collingwood-Carlton game, because having watched at least parts of the other three games, um, uh, it's not something that I saw as an issue. Um, Definitely not. I watched the full game, Lions versus Crows, and it definitely was not an issue in that game, so not really sure what the AFL's doing here.
0: A few stats came out during the week that um, from the first round, we saw a decrease in scoring compared to the average score we saw over all of last year. So last year, total average, we had 65.8 average score, and in round one, we had 60.5, which isn't even a huge drop. But when you look at just round one last year compared compared to round one this year comparisons, we've had an increase in scoring by 16%. So really, the scoring is very similar to what we saw last year
1: yeah um a f l obviously having a bit of an obsession with the scores here um they're obviously wanting higher scores, but when you take into account the um the time played in the women's comp compared to the men's it it works out to be relatively you know similar so i'm I'm not sure that it's such a big issue.
0: I've also seen stats about the first three or four years of the men's v f l competition when the game first came into into existence and the average points coming out of those sort of games were about 50 points as well so it's what happens when you have a new sort of uh new game come into fruition and you don't have all the players having played it for their whole life where you're going to see an increase in skill as the next generations come through so i don't think people should be too surprised that scoring is a bit lower yeah
1: so the only thing i'd add on the the scoring conundrum is that I think when you take into account the average distance that, that the players in the AFL women's are able to kick the ball compared to the men's side, it may make sense to have a slightly smaller ground. Um although that doesn't seem something it doesn't seem like an avenue that the AFL is interested in pursuing, so probably not something we're going to see, but in in terms of rule changes in that, I, it's not something that I think they should be pursuing.
0: I mean, we see that in other sports like in the women's cricket, the boundary lines brought in to make more boundaries because the general hitting strength of the girls is slightly lower. But it's a bit harder to bring that in in the AFLW because we've got the set posts in the ground and you're not going to bring new posts in and move the... It's just a bit hard. So I think that that's not the right way to go about it. I think that you'll see an increase in the skill come, you know, the Chloe Malloys of next year's draft class and all these better kickers coming through. It's going to work itself out, in my opinion. All right, that's all we've got time for this week. We're going to wrap it
1: up here. Hopefully, we can have you tune in next week to hear the next nine teams in burning up the track and listen to me go three tips ahead of Liam in the women's tipping competition.